Welcome to episode five of A Quiet Voice with Colin. Thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the last episode in which I tried to put you into the felt experience of meditation. That experience might have been new for some of you, and if it is, I hope you seize the opportunity to try it out, to dip your toe in. With each passing episode, I start to see the limits of storytelling, especially when we're trying to discuss and frame something like that intuitive voice, like unknowing, like the felt experience that is beyond the senses. And so rather than discuss it all the time, I intend to bring experiences that hopefully will allow you to touch it in your own special way. After all, you walk your own labyrinth. You walk your own journey of discovery, and nobody else can walk it for you. This episode is on the subject of enriching your story through surrender. In the first episode, I spoke about the power that comes by approaching life as a threshold, as thinking through different passages through the day can enrich you with a little bit more control, that if you combine intention and cultivate a balance of mind, body, and spirit, that you can step through thresholds like waking up, like going to work, like stepping into particularly difficult situations, like speaking with your boss or loved one about something that's difficult. You can step through these transitions with intention and balance to create a positive outcome or create a favorable outcome through the power of a mindset. But one thing that I think I overlooked is the aspect of the invisible forces that affect that outcome. Part of the process of thinking with thresholds is trying to control your environment. But when you approach something mystical, when you approach something as powerful as a sacred presence or a sacred journey, you start to introduce elements that are working in your favor behind the scenes. Just as I record each episode, it is a threshold in itself, and I can start out with certain amounts of planning and preparation, references, resources, an outline, and I do. But inevitably what happens is I start to trail off. I start to go down paths. I start to feel the momentum of certain visual languages. And I want to tell a story about childhood that I didn't even prepare, you know? A lot of artists speak about this type of creative process. Now, I'm not claiming to be an artist by any means, but in the last episode, two episodes ago, I spoke about painting on my walls or hanging paintings on my walls to sort of inspire creativity. And I, I did that rather haphazardly without any real effort. My preferred medium was watercolors. Watercolors are not a particularly exact form. Working with water that spills onto the page 
you've walked the fine line between creating puddles of color and then sharp lines of deep ink. And so there's a certain unpredictability around these things. I was really fascinated when I went to Budapest at the National Hungarian Museum of Art. There was a exhibit on Francis Bacon, the Irish, British, what would you call him, a contemporary painter, probably. And if you've ever seen Francis Bacon, he's very, very dark. That's the only way to con well, only way to describe it. He draws influences from butchers, from wrestling, from slaughterhouses. And he likes to paint the same thing over and over again. He was fascinated with the scream, and he took old pictures of a pope, Pope Pius, and turned his mouth into a scream, put him into cells. I encourage you to look at some of his paintings on your own. They're, they're quite disturbing because they touch upon an inner darkness, you know? I went to this art exhibit four times while I was in the city, and each time I just sort of fell into the experience. Sort of like I was starting to see that this man with no artistic training could touch upon a truth so profound that if he had an if he had a direction it wouldn't have reached quite as an authentic place i bought his book well not his book a book of interviews in which they interviewed him and they asked him this question about about his creative process and he speaks about this hidden force the force of intuition and unpredictability he works with oil paintings and oils just like watercolors are an exceptionally unpredictable medium. I've never tried it myself, but I understand that there are solvents involved and you have to slather on this thick paste and then build in layers by slowly dissolving. He wasn't a trained painter, so he didn't really use things like brushes or scalpels or the fine instruments. He used things like rags and sponges and his hands. And you can imagine all of these solvents sort of creating this heavy, dense perfume then in the air that would, a fragrance that would kind of create a heaviness in your head. And he would smear and he would splatter and follow a sense of knowing. Now this sense of knowing, knowing was surrendering to any particular outcome. It's the same thing that I do every time I step in front of the microphone, it's almost the only thing that gets me to do it. Because if I lean into too much structure, if I spend more time on the outline, I'll never actually sit and speak into the microphone. The longer I spend outlining, the more the microphone sort of haunts me, looks like a creature that's ready to bite me, <laughs> frankly. I can't tell you how much growth has happened just doing these past episodes and I'm I'm excited to see where it goes. I don't know where it's going to go. And having an element of surrendering to this knowing is to embrace an element of growth that's ambivalent, that's unknown. So much of modern life revolves around control. I went to university I went through an academic curriculum, and then I entered into a cubicle job force, trying to network to get into relationships that would build 
a resume that would build a set of connections that would help me, 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 me. And whether it's school, like an institutions of a university or an enterprise, like a business, the prevailing theme in all of it is work hard and you will be rewarded. The only thing that you can control is your body and the output of your labor, your sweat, your blood, your tears, your effort. And by putting more effort in, you will receive more things, more objects, more money, more status. That's not always the way it works, though that is the story that culture, especially in the United States and this Americanized, you know, capitalist machine kind of, at least that's my conception of it anyway. That's not the full story. Everybody that is anybody knows that life carries with it in a unpredictable fashion. I remember on the door of one of my economics professors was a graph, a line graph with the y-axis and the x-axis, you know, labeled something like time and progress or something like this. And Point A led into point B, and it was sort of like how you think life will be and how life really is. You know, you think that everything is going to be in a straight line, but in this graph, it was just a big squiggle that would sometimes be going backwards, forwards, upside down, whatever. I spoke about this in the labyrinth, the persistence, the courage that's required to just simply walk the path sometimes. Because there are so many distractions, especially in culture. Things like consumerism, materialism, status, things that satisfy the ego. We want control. We'd like to tell ourselves a story of control so that we feel as if we're important, so that we feel as if we're, we matter, and that we can picture a myriad of complications in an unknown universe with some degree of simplicity. Control is simplicity. But control can be the enemy of the creative process. And if the creative process is essential for your healing, for that discovering of the quiet voice, that inner yearning, then you are never going to begin that path without surrendering this idea of control. John O'Donohue, the great Irish poet, writes in his book, Anamkara, that when you sow seeds in the spring, you commit these seeds into the darkness of the soil. The soil does its own work. It is destructive to interfere with the rhythm and wisdom of its darkness. You plant potatoes on Tuesday, and you are delighted with the progress. You meet someone on a Wednesday who says that you spread the potatoes too thickly, so you will have no crop. You dig up the potatoes again and spread them more thinly. And then on the following Monday, you meet an agricultural advisor who says this particular variety of seed potatoes needs to be spread closer together. You dig them up again and set them closer to each other. And if you keep scraping at the garden, you will never allow anything to grow. He writes, people in our hungry modern world are always scraping at the clay of their hearts. They have a new thought, a new plan, a new syndrome that now explains why they are the way they are. They have found an old memory that opens a new wound. 
They keep on relentlessly, again and again, scraping the clay away from their own hearts. In nature, we do not see the trees getting seriously involved in therapeutic analysis of their root systems, or the whole stony world that they had to avoid on their way to the light. Each tree grows in two directions at once, into the darkness and out into the light, with as many branches and roots as it needs to embody its wild desires. Now, darkness is a great visual term to describe this unknown element that works in the background, the man behind the curtain that shapes your destiny or your process or your growth or your learning or whatever your path is. But modern life has a very poor relationship with darkness. We can't stand uncertainty. We can't stand darkness. We have to illuminate things. And things in the dark always carries with it some sort of danger, some sort of presence that isn't to our benefit. Modern life comes with lots of things that keep us in the daylight, so to speak. We wake up at a certain time. We go to sleep at a certain time. We exercise. We go to the gym. We cook. We go to grocery shopping on the same days. It comes with a lot of events to control time. When time becomes too controlled, it starts to become a prison. It starts to become confined. And it stops allowing us to sit in presence, in stillness. My call to action, if I ever have one, in each episode. In this episode is to allow your life to be governed by the unseen and to allow yourself to open to that mysterious darkness that works in our favor behind the scenes. Because when you surrender to a hidden current, you, you relax, you release, you almost, you exhale, you sigh. You unfold like a sunflower does to reflect the sun. The bud opens to reveal a hidden treasure. Beauty denied to the world if that bud doesn't open. And when, when, we, when we open to the mysterious darkness that works in our favor, what do we do? We, we dance. We sing from our belly. Our creativity finds like a, a youthful spirit. We pursue it with full effort and without regard for outcome. We don't care about criticism, culture, or whatever our creation has, or if our creation has a place in this world, because it's found the only place that it truly belongs, within you. It helps you build self-respect, confidence, We can't forget the intention that must sit behind us as we step through these thresholds, but we shouldn't attach too hard to what that intention will bring. We almost have to live as if we already have what we want. We have to live in the spirit of the thing that we want so that that thing can materialize around us. 
often I am paralyzed, without purpose, without any sort of sense of why I'm making this podcast, if you want to call it. What's the point? Three million podcasts in the world, probably more than that. What do I have to say? Will anyone listen? Why should they listen? And to be perfectly honest, no one is listening right now as I speak. Not a single person. And I feel a surge of almost life force. I can feel my heart sort of vibrating. I can feel alive. And each day when I go to sleep, having spoken my truth, you know, in this manner, it's as if I start to align with a world that is in more alignment with the truth that I want. I speak this truth in a in a flurry, not in a controlled manner. But in this sort of flurry, I start to create vibrations. I start to hear my own thoughts reflected back from me. You know, when I listen back to it later, I start to hear these words. I start to hear these positive, transforming, these, these types of stories that make me believe that people can change, that people can escape these habits, that people can build prisons, but they're not permanent. And so then when I walk outside and I start to engage with people, I feel a sense of optimism. I feel as if they are engaging with life in the same lived manner with which I speak into this microphone, you know? And then when I lay my head down at night to go to sleep, I sleep soundly. I sleep without regret, only in anticipation of the next one, that next moment, when I can start to hear my truth echo back at me. Towards the closing of this episode, I want to touch on a very deep topic. And I want to sort of glance off of it like a skipping stone across a pond, you know? I am not qualified to go down into the depths of this subject matter, and I, I don't wish to. What I do want to bring up, though, is the psychedelic experience, because the psychedelic experience used to be something that was only spoken about in the darkness of clubs or casinos or or at your friend's house over late-night drinks when you start to wonder about tomorrow and share really intimate details. Now there's Netflix shows about the psychedelic experience. It seems to just sort of percolate across culture. Now I have done a little bit of reading about this, whether you're engaging in LSD or psilocybin mushrooms or whatever, it's all the same experience, right? Heck, even if you're drinking alcohol with friends, it seems to be an extension of a need to surrender to something greater than ourselves. Something that allows us to escape the predicament that is our own life. Why are we here? What are we doing? What will happen at the end of this? When I go to sleep, where do I go? And when I die, where do I go? These questions that it seems as if culture has fewer and fewer answers. 
but the nature of the psychedelic experience from a shamanic perspective. The shaman would engage with plant medicine to induce this, this state of ecstasy, I think that it's called, state of ecstasy, and in this state of ecstasy travel to different dimensions, different realms for usually knowledge, wisdom, for either the, the clan, the group of people, or the patient. Nowadays it seems as if everybody is acting as their own shaman, taking hallucinogenic drugs without really knowing what they're getting involved with, and sort of bombarded with these archetypes and symbols and communications from the unconscious or these other dimensions, whatever you have, whatever you have it. But we don't need to engage with psychedelics in order to surrender. We don't need to venture into these deep, deep waters that at this point are seemingly sort of clouded in this murky, bad trip energy. Everybody knows somebody that had a bad trip or, you know, you don't, the, the, the psychedelic experience is connected with bad trip. Even I am talking about it now and I don't mean to. I'm sure there's a lot of psych, there's a lot of positive healing benefits that can come from those experiences. But at this point, it's like you've got to be at a point of surrender just to engage with it so that you can dissolve the attachment to the outcome so that you don't have a bad trip. You can just relax. The culture is, is still toxic to, to psychedelics. But Terence McKenna, one of the great psychedelic bards, you know, storytellers, he has this wonderful quote. He says, nature loves courage. You make the commitment, commitment to doing something or whatever you want, I suppose he's meaning. You make the commitment and nature will respond to that commitment by removing impossible obstacles. Dream the impossible dream, and the world will not grind you under. It will lift you up. This is the trick. This is what all these teachers and philosophers who really counted, who really touched the alchemical gold, this is what they understood. This is the shamanic dance in the waterfall. This is how magic is done. By hurling yourself into the abyss and discovering it's a feather bed. Hurling yourself into the abyss to discover it's a feather bed. We're moving very quickly in this podcast, sometimes quicker than I can wrap my head around. We've discussed the power of intention, the idea of thresholds, thinking in thresholds, moving through these thresholds with intention to shape your body into a vessel that can handle whatever is on the other side and disconnecting from any sort of past trauma and memories to let go of expectations. But control is not something that we ever really have. And McKenna is speaking here about the fact that the darkness of nature is what we try to forget, even though even Donahue was speaking about that. The darkness of nature is what we try to forget but it is always connected to us and rewarding us for these acts of courage. I want to task you with a question. Many questions, really, but around a single theme. What habits, what 
things in your life that if you took an audit of your day, do you regret? Do you feel like aren't bringing you closer to that lived life? Are you watching too much TV? Are you slipping into a state of unconscious boredom with where you're at work, in a relationship? Try taking a walk. Try finding some solitude. Try opening yourself to this mysterious darkness that works in our favor behind the scenes. If you don't dance, dance. If you don't sing, sing. If you don't create, create. Understanding that surrender is a key part of the equation to living a more lived life is only one part. There's another form. There's another step. There's another piece of this equation that we have yet to flesh out. And we will do that in the next episode when we will talk about how we jump off, how we relax into the abyss. Until then, I thank you for your patience and I wish you peace and presence until the next time we speak. Bye-bye.